Good morning, Southwoods. That was a little weak. Good morning, Southwoods. It's great to see you this morning. Thrilled that you're here. Whether you're here on site or online, we're thrilled you're with us today and just trust that uh, this morning's service will really add uh, strength, encouragement, hope, faith to your life. That's uh, that's what we're hoping and praying for this morning. Think that uh, think that God will be here with us and touch our hearts. I want to mention a couple of things real quick as we head into the service. Just want you to know uh, we're going to be receiving communion, sharing in communion in just a little bit. If you didn't grab a communion cup as you came in here on site or if you're online and you need to pick up one, kind of plan for that. We're going to share in that in a little bit. And so uh, now would be a great time to take care of that. You can just head get up and head back toward the entryways. We have them on trays near the entryways here on site. Uh, uh, want to mention we've got a winter coat drive that's taking place all month long. If you get a gently used coat, grab one, drop it off. You, we'll see, you'll see boxes around the auditorium where you can do that. Uh, we have Operation Christmas Child that's underway. Uh, and if you've never done one of these shoe boxes, sort of a partnership with Samaritan's Purse. And it's always a good way to bless uh, a child in a third world country. Let them know that God loves them. We love them. There are people in the world praying for them and uh, we care about them. You can participate in that. We've been doing that for years. Hope you'll consider that if you've never done that. I want to mention we've got a volunteer appreciation event this thir- or this Wednesday night. It's going to be taking place here. So at the close of the service, if you're here on site, we uh, we could use your, your assistance for a few minutes afterwards. We're going to remove a few rows here in the front and kind of reconfigure a few things. Uh, if you'd be uh, able to hang around for a few minutes afterwards, I uh, just invite you to do that. Hopefully uh, we'll be, rem- be able to remind you of that again at the end of the service. But just want you to be aware of that. And if you're planning to come Wednesday night, we're looking forward to it. Also want you to know we've got a new ministry that uh, is going to be getting underway The new uh, as we head into uh, January, the new year, 2023. Can you believe? I mean, it just seemed like it turned 2022 just the other day, and now 2023 is on the horizon. Uh, we're going to be starting a Southwoods Homeschool Support Center is what we're calling it. If uh, you're aware of the fact, I mean, you've been paying attention. I mean, there's a lot, just the homeschool environment is just... Uh, increasing rapidly. There's just more and more families choosing to homeschool their kids. Uh, pros and cons to that, but uh, you know, one of the things that's an opportunity for us to kind of help educationally and spiritually partner with some of these families. We've got our West Building. We're going to be utilizing several uh, bays there in a routine fashion. It's going to start one day a week is what it'll start on Mondays and then uh, for a few hours on Monday, but uh, you know, we really kind of We'll be surprised if it doesn't expand beyond that uh, relatively rapidly over time. So uh, we're not going to be doing teaching on site necessarily of the normal homeschool thing, but we'll be supporting families that are doing uh, homeschooling. And so uh, just be praying for us about that. Amanda Wilson is going to be leading that. Sheila Bieberbach is partnering with that. Sheila's over here. Most of you know Sheila. Some of you know Amanda, uh, but most of you know Sheila and uh, it's her daughter or daughter. So just uh, grab Sheila if you have questions and uh, keep us in prayer about that as we work at launching uh, this uh, in the new year. So you may see some promotional stuff and some things with that on Facebook or various places. Uh, just be prayerful about that. So uh, we're thrilled that you're with us and just trust that you'll open your heart to God. How about if I lead us in a prayer and then uh, the team's going to begin uh, leading us in worship. All right, let's bow our heads together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your mercy, your grace, your goodness. We thank you that you've promised where two or more are gathered in your name. You're there in their midst. We're grateful for that. 
Would you, uh, would you bless our fellowship this morning with one another as well as with you? Would you empower Bob, uh, a priest who's going to share this morning uh, the Word of God and, and, and from Scripture? Would you just give him wisdom and strength, peace in his spirit, clarity of communication? And I pray that you give all of us open hearts, open hearts to what you want to say to us through your Word, but what you want to say to us through your Spirit as we worship together, as we proclaim your goodness and enjoy each other's company and your presence. We're here for you, Lord. We're thankful for your mercy, your grace, and your presence. Now be with us, guide us, empower us for the sake of Christ. Um, we just lift this prayer. Everybody agree with me and said, amen, amen. Bless you all. Thanks for coming. Enjoy worshiping with us this morning. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us this morning?
That's our testimony. Let's continue to sing out because of that. It's your testimony, so raise a hallelujah, church. So I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Sing a little louder. Sing a little. 
so much power in that name there's so much power in the melody that we sing as we raise a hallelujah it all falls underneath our feet I will look to you and in my trouble you will find me shield me in your truth You're the God who fights beside me. Show me you are here. 
darkness, all bondage, all sorrow falls underneath my feet. We sing out, hallelujah, King Jesus, you're one. Sing it out, church. He's so powerful. Our God is so, so powerful. And we just get to praise him and raise a hallelujah. That's all we have to give is our praise. And I mean, what a better word. No, there's no no better word than just to shout hallelujah. Because we were dead in our sin. And yet it's underneath our feet now. And how? So how? How is that possible? Church, you know it's because of Jesus. King Jesus has won it all for us. He claimed the victory, and it happened on the cross. actually happened in what seemed like defeat. We're going to head into communion here after we sing one more song. And uh, this next song uh, talks about the heart of God, which it's amazing to me that we have a God that is so powerful so creative he literally made the universe and yet he has you in mind and if you want evidence of that again Jesus the cross there's lines in this that says he doesn't sit there and shake his head at us he went to that cross for you because there's it says there's only love in the heart of God and I I do want to say okay what about his justice Yeah, that's in the cross. He loved us so much. He poured out all of his justice, too, onto Jesus on that cross. So as we head into this song and take communion, I just, I ask and I pray that um, that would resonate with you, that the Holy Spirit would move through you if you have not experienced the victory and the freedom and the life that is found in the death of Jesus on the cross, that you would feel God's love, his heart for you as we sing, as we sing this next song. So as we take the, the body, the bread, and the juice as the cup, would you reflect on his love for you as we, when we take communion or just take, take that time to reflect?
times we fall short, God, but you make beauty from ashes. Lord, we, we just praise you that you are a God that does that. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the life that he brings as well as his death, Lord, that comes with the life that we get from that. So Lord, we just praise you as we take communion. Amen.
Look at that. The lights came on. I'm, I'm Bob Priest. I'm here to uh, fill in for our pastor, Greg Montague, today. And part of that is to give a message from the Bible for this part of our deal. Part of that is also to remind you, although I'm not sure I need to because the lights came on, but you can give to support what goes on here. There are three ways. And I just am an old check guy, so I just fill out a check. But if you guys would continue your generosity, there's just so much impactful, some just very practical things, other things deeply spiritual and all combined. So I, I commend you for the giving you're given. You're keeping the lights on, and you probably know, but we're blessing people all over the world doing ministry for the Lord that Wesley was talking about. So good for you guys. A warm welcome to you. Glad you made it on this lovely autumn Weekend, I'm sure the Lord is, is pleased that you're putting your time into worship this morning. I hope you've been blessed as, as we've sung, as we've prayed, as we've thought about some of the words that, that are very strong in some of those hymns that we sang. Uh, Greg and I got together a few weeks ago to talk about what to title this message, and I appreciate the opportunity to come and speak. It's something I've kind of had in my heart for a while, um, and we titled the message, Victory through violence. Victory through violence. Although there's a question mark at the end. Victory through violence. Now, I wasn't thinking how close. wasn't thinking how close we were to election day when I was going to get up here and think about that. And we were chuckling about that earlier. I'm thanking God today and this week that for a couple centuries now in our country, we've been able to peacefully transfer power peacefully, not violently, transfer power election office by election office. And uh, we are actually an election site. I don't know if you know that, if you saw all the equipment back there. So you might be praying for Tuesday when people are gonna come work in the election uh, process, they're gonna come and vote, there'll be staff around here, I'm sure. And if you just keep that whole this whole building blanketed in your prayers. We would appreciate that. If you could watch Mike Naster after the service, I'm afraid he's going to try to go back and monkey with him and make it where you can only vote for Patrick Mahomes. So keep your eye. You can vote for him tonight, and that's it, okay? <laughs> um, hopefully, you'll take advantage of that personally to you, that, that history and this opportunity we have to cast our ballot if you are eligible to do that. So God's, uh, God's book is what we spend our time on in these Sunday messages, these talks that we do, because we believe that the Bible is literally the word of God. It's inspired through his Holy Spirit. And one reason we, we have that belief is the remarkable way history tells us that the, that the Bible was assembled. We believe that God spoke. We're told that God spoke many times and in various ways down through time, through people from different walks of life and very different cultures and even from different continents of our world over a span of roughly 1,500 years. Yet as diverse as those origins of the writings in our scripture were, as diverse as they were, a, a coherent message emerges from the pages for anyone who will study them seriously. This book from God carries a coherent message through its pages, and I want you to think about what that means. It indicates that it's not just a collection of human thoughts. 
It's not just a bunch of writings that people put together over time, but our Bible is the product of a transcendent mind, the mind of God, that's superintended over this assembly process for some 1,500 years. That's how it can have a coherent message through all those times and peoples and cultures. Isn't that a wonder? And interestingly, in the, in the midst of those 1,500 years, there's a, there's a certain point in there where we see this huge gap. It's a gap of 400 years where there was no writing. There was no communication from God. You've probably heard this, but it's the 400 years between what we call our Old Testament and what we call our New Testament. It's 400 years between the ancient Hebrews scriptures and then the writings of the New Testament authors that, that really fulfilled and completed what the Old Testament people had been writing. There was still plenty to study in that 400-year window. They had lots of prophetic and historical and even poetic writings to learn uh, from about God. There was still plenty to look at. But for anyone that was hungering for a fresh word from God, their expectations were just met with silence. Silence from the heavens. But they knew that God was not done communicating with them yet. He had shared through his prophets to be on the lookout for two particular people that would arrive on the scene in the land of Israel to complete God's message that they had started. And they would be coming at some future point. No date was really given. And so they watched and they waited and they got old, they got gray in their hair, so they informed the next generation, you need, to watch, you need to watch, you need to wait, and so on. And they did this for a generation, and another generation, and they watched, and they waited. Little did they know, it would be over 400 years before they heard from God again. And then just like that, God showed up again. The time arrived, and God began to communicate. What method did God choose? What did he use to break his silence? A couple little babies. Isn't that sweet? we got a bunch of those around my family right now. Just changes everything. With the birth of two little boys born six months apart, and, and their moms were related to each other. You remember from the Christmas story, it's Elizabeth and Mary. They were relatives. They didn't live right next to each other. They were in proximity. But the two boys' names were John, who we've come to know as John the Baptist, and of course Jesus, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And there's much we don't know about those two boys' growing up years, but when they were in their early 30s, they became complementary voices for God in their nation. Remarkable. 400 years of silence. And now we have not one voice, but we have two voices, two witnesses to what God wanted to communicate to his people. These guys were great. Both were very supportive of each other's role in God's plan. There's not a hint of competitiveness or rivalry between them, although there was a little among their followers. Those guys had a little of that in them, but not in John and Jesus the conversations they had with one another are really worthy of your time. They were, 
They were epic conversations. But there was this one time, and this is what I want to start in the scripture with us today to, to look at our message. There was one time, a brief exchange, that these boys seemed to, to be uh, going significantly different directions in their thought. There was a divergence in their thought. They were clearly on different pages. Before we read, we're going to start in Matthew 11, if you guys want to turn there in your Bibles. Before we read, I'd like to, to start us in a prayer. Uh, Father, thank you for these good people taking time to um, worship you, taking time to hear from you through your word. We're so thankful that you did not uh, remain silent, but that you, you've spoken into our world, you've spoken through your son, Jesus, and through his his relative John, give us insight and wisdom today to know what we can learn about um, not just their lives, but how they, they affect our stories and our communities in this time. Bless us, Lord, with your truth. Thank you for the truth you've given us for life, and we help us to embrace it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to uh, read from Matthew 11, 1 through 6 to begin with. And just give you a flavor for uh, the direction we're going to go with what, what was a very difficult time for these two guys as they didn't really see eye to eye on something very important. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions, the Bible tells us, gave his instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns through the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then this is almost like a little... Uh, rebuke to John. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Another version of the Bible, the one I kind of grew up with, says, uh, don't stumble at this approach that I'm taking, John. There was a little difference between these guys on this. Where is John? He's in prison. What horrible crime had John committed that landed him in prison? You are probably aware that not everyone in Israel was excited to see these prophecies fulfilled for John and Jesus, and they were not excited to hear God's voice. They had grown quite content living their lives, going about the business of life without having to have God's uh, interfering will intrude upon what they wanted to do. And one of those people was uh, one of the rulers, one of the authorities in the land. His name was Herod. John spoke the truth to everyone he met. John was God's messenger, and he spoke the truth to ordinary people, and he spoke the truth to power. And one of the power people, Herod, did not like that. The Bible tells us that Herod, the ruler at the time, chose to add one more evil thing to all the other evil things he had done. He locked John up in prison. And just like that, one of the two voices of God to the people was, was sidelined. John was out of the game, in prison. And I think what John was feeling is going to be interesting to you and I. Because we might feel the same way if we were 
doing the right things and put him in prison. In prison, John feels doubt creeping into his soul. The questions begin to flood his mind. How did I get here? I'm doing what the Lord has put me on earth to do. I'm preparing the people for the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, and he's here. So many of the people, this leader wasn't receptive, but so many of the people were receptive. Things were going great in his ministry. How, how did I end up in prison? And then the, the real question in his heart is, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus as I'm going through this? None of these events that John's going through were what he was expecting which begs the question, what was John expecting out of life? What specifically was John expecting to see from the Messiah? Well, we can get a clue. We can get a clue about John was expecting by looking at some of his preaching. So keep your finger in Matthew 11 there. We're gonna jump over to Luke 3 and just read a little bit of a couple of John's talks that he did. It starts with this one in Luke 3, 7. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes. That's a good, good opening line, how, how to win friends and influence people. You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the ax of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down, thrown into the fire. They're strong words. And then a little further on in verse 15 in, in Luke 3. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be that Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And John here, in preparing the way for the Messiah, he's, he's preaching coming wrath. He's preaching judgment. The axe of God's judgment is poised and about to fall. He's preaching a strong Messiah who separates the wheat from the chaff with his winter, winnowing fork, that is the Messiah John is expecting. And surely that kind of Messiah would not allow an evil ruler like Herod to keep a good man like John incarcerated. Why, does, why doesn't Jesus do something, I think is the real question in John's mind. Why doesn't he bring Herod to his knees? and get me out of this awful place. And those prisons back then were atrocious. Have you ever had someone you trusted that really let you down? Someone that you really looked up to, 
you discovered this person that you admired did not fit your image of them at all. You can see a few heads nodding out there. Happens to all of us, doesn't it? Especially those of us who are kind of trusting in our natures. If we live long enough on this earth, this is what humans do to each other. We let each other down. Perhaps it was a close family member that you held in, in high esteem. Someone you followed even as a life example, but, but when you saw their darker, weaker side exposed, you felt disillusioned and betrayed by that. Maybe it was a spouse. The one you committed yourself to until death do us part, only discover that it was a one-sided devotion, and they were just faking faithfulness. Maybe it was a leader in politics or business or or church somewhere, a man or woman you hitched your wagon to, but time proved that he or she was leading in a totally different direction than you had expected and perhaps left you feeling not just disillusioned, but feeling like, boy, I I have wasted a, a great part of my life on this person. I've squandered That time and following this leader has led to nothing for me. You can feel that kind of sense of um, betrayal. And there's a little of that. That seems to be a little of the hurt in John's question for Jesus. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus' response was pretty brief. And all he really left John with was some soul searching. Jesus confirms that he is the Messiah. Look at what I've been doing, John. Let your disciples come and tell you all the things I've been doing. I'm clearly the Messiah. And then he challenges John not to fall away because of misguided expectations of who Messiah was and who John really wanted Messiah to be. We're not told what John thought of Jesus' answer. It kind of drops right there. We are told that not long afterward, the evil Herod, the ruler, added another tally to his list of offenses. He had John executed. He had his head taken. And it was a senseless death. If you remember the story, it was Herod's birthday and he's having a party, and has his, he has his illegitimate wife's daughter dancing for them. And because she pleased Herod and his guests, he boastfully says, I will give you every, anything you want. And Herod's wife had a grudge against John, and she counseled her daughter, say that you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And it was done. A horrifically violent Death for this great servant of God, a senseless, violent death. And it just, it just kind of leaves us there with no resolution, no idea why that was allowed. What we do have is Jesus, after he sent his response to John, he turned to the crowd to share some further thoughts. And we'll pop back over to Matthew 11 now. He shared some further, further thoughts specifically about John and the larger context of John's role in preparing the way for Jesus, for the Messiah. Listen to these words. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. And then Jesus adds, I tell you the truth, all of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Jesus beautifully honors John for his strength, for his faithfulness to his calling, a great man uniquely chosen by God to bear witness to the now arrived Messiah, but always the truth teller. Jesus challenges the thought that John had apparently come to, and and many in that day subscribed to, even some some of Jesus' own followers, that Messiah was a conquering military leader, bringing long-deserved judgment on those who did evil in the world. He would usher in an earthly kingdom by force. Victory through violence was their thought. It doesn't take very much reading through the New Testament to figure out that this idea of a violent Jesus establishing an earthly kingdom through battle gains no traction, whatever, in Scripture. Not at all. Let me just hit three verses with you real quickly. I think you'll see this and how Jesus represents himself really well here. The first one is from John 6. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, here's his opportunity, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. After, after performing a miracle that had people stunned and they're ready to make him king right now, Jesus purposely evades those who seek to use force to have a coronation for him. Look at this one. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He firmly rejects two of his closest friends on earth, James and John. This is John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. He he firmly rejects when they want to use not just violence, but miraculous violence to overcome resistance to him. And honestly, if you know a little of the background, there was probably a good dose of racism in what they were proposing as well. And Jesus flatly rejects that. He is not about that. That is not how his power is going to be used. One more, Jesus answered, my kingdom, this is uh, toward the end of his life, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight 
to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. You know who he said those words to? Pilate, the Roman governor who had the power to crucify Jesus. In fact, he did. He did crucify Jesus. Jesus showed no fear of Pilate's power in their conversation when Pilate was interviewing him. And in the course of their conversation, Jesus in these words makes clear, he's not here to fight. His kingdom is from another place. So it's easy to see if we just keep an open mind and read our way through the scripture that our Messiah Jesus is not one to seek victory through violence. Never has been, never will be. And that's great to know. That's the kind of leader we want to be associated with. Most of us are are glad to have that reassurance about our Lord. We don't want a killer for a leader. But I want to ask you the other side of the question. What if we were standing in John the Baptist's sandals at that point? There are many people in this world, and John encountered them, and so did Jesus. There are many people in this world willing to use power and force to get their way over us. What value does a Messiah have that, that refuses to bring force to bear against those kind of people when it's needed most? You know, think of what John was probably hoping the response would be when he sent his disciples. Hey, send a, send a quick note, Jesus. Dear John, I've heard about what's going on with you. Yes, I am Messiah. I'll be right there, and I'll have you out of that prison in no time at all. That would have surely been John's preference. And we have our preferences, particularly when evil touches us personally for how we would like to do how we would like God to do things on our behalf God has told us God has told us that rather through rather than through violence we are to deal with evil according to other principles that he's put in our world instead of turning to violence and instead of, instead of being a leader of violence we are turned to we are to turn to other principles that God has built into our world I've got three of those. The first is this, from from Romans 13, 4. We read this, The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. First principle God has built into his world is he has put in place authorities who in my Bible say, it says they do not bear the sword for nothing. They are there to put fear into the hearts of people who would do evil and perpetrate evil against other people. God, God has put in place these authorities to restrain evil. And when they're functioning well, it brings happiness and joy to a people when there is an order and they know that evil is going to be swiftly and fairly dealt with. It's really difficult, though, in a situation like John faced when those authorities had abdicated their responsibilities, whether it was out of arrogance or or ignorance or a lack of humility toward the role that God had placed them in. And we see way too much of that, I know, 
And God is the ultimate authority, though. And what he has told us is you need to submit to the people that I, I have put in place. I don't think I like that sometimes, but that's his principle. You and I are not generally the ones in those positions of authority. So God's command is for us to submit and importantly, not to take matters into our own hands. Listen to this from Romans 12, 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will take revenge. I will pay them back. Okay, so we have to submit to the authorities and we can't take any revenge. What can we do then? Can you imagine? Here's a really simple verse. This may be the verse for the day. When we're faced with evil in our lives and we're ready to fight and we don't think God's showing up, look at his other principle that he's built into our world. This is Romans 12, 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Do not be overcome by evil. We're to overcome evil with good. You let that settle into your soul a little bit. God places an expectation on us as his children, as really the citizens of his coming kingdom, that we will make every effort in our power to overcome evil with good. We need to take every opportunity to do good. We can't allow our love to grow cold you know, you've probably read this. There's a verse in Matthew. I'm not exactly sure what it is. It just popped in my mind. But it says, in the last days, the, due to the increase of wickedness, the love of most of us will grow cold. We can't let that happen. We can't let evil take our, our love meter down. We have to overcome evil with good. We can't give in to what we think is our righteous anger and allow that to turn then into acts of vengeance and violence. We're asked to love. It's the kind of, it's kind of expectation that God places on us that comes with a sober recognition that at times if we follow this path of trying to overcome evil with good, we may suffer, we may suffer literally for doing good, like John did. And we need to prepare our hearts for that reality that the Lord may allow us to suffer without relief. He may allow some of us to lose our lives to evil. And what he's asking us to do in the midst of that is to trust him, just like, just like Jesus did. Trust him that his love and judgment and justice will, will assure that none of our efforts to do good will be in vain in the long term, in his coming kingdom. How could that possibly be God's answer? That I might have to suffer violence at the hands of evil people and not fight back and actually possibly be killed how could that possibly be God's answer? 
Can you think of anyone else? Anyone else important that had to experience their end just that way? Let's look at this. This will be our last verse for the day, and then we'll wrap things up. Galatians 1, 3 through 4 says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Who else suffered at the hands of violent evil people and did not fight back and actually was killed, it was our Lord. That's the model that he set for us. We live in an evil world, but thankfully it is not our permanent home. And Jesus believed that so firmly. He believed so firmly in the coming age and what eternity would bring to you and me that he was willing to to suffer crucifixion and death at the hands of people that he could have blown away with a word. He had so much restraint because he knew that if he set this model for us, we would overcome evil with good, His, his good. He died in our place. Wesley did a wonderful job talking about that earlier. He died in our place. And it would be pitiful if that was the end. But three days later, the Lord showed what real power is, the power of resurrection. When he overcame all evil by rising from the dead, and now he offers that same kind of life to those of us who will embrace him, who will say, we're going to follow your ways. And And he has a victory through violence, not because he met violence with violence, but he overcame it. He overcame evil with good for all time. And thankfully, for those of us who have a strong sense of justice, and we probably, most of us probably have that, uh, he has promised that there will be a day. There will be a day when our perfect, all-seeing, all-knowing God will bring all evil into justice, into judgment, and he will eradicate it from his kingdom. There will be no hint of it where we are going. But God's the only one he can do that. God's the only one who can do that. That's why we don't take that into our own hands. We have to trust him and his timing with that kind of judgment. I hope if you have not opened your heart to Jesus before, that that you will do that, that you'll receive this gift of eternal life that he has offered so graciously to all of us. If you've already done that, I hope you will submit to this way that he lays out for us, these principles of submitting to him and modeling to people love, of being people without fear and being people who overcome evil with good at every opportunity. I hope you'll do that. Let's stand and we'll have closing prayer together. Thanks for you guys' attention. I wanted to remind you, too, uh, what Greg announced earlier. If some of you people want great treasure in heaven, there's great treasure in moving tables and chairs. <laughs> so if you can help a little bit with that. Let's bow together and pray after what we've heard. God, we need strength. We need strength to do what you're asking us to do. And we look around, and 
we see so many opportunities that we can be angry, that we can want vengeance, that we can want to bring justice right now. Help us to resist those darker parts of our character and instead embrace the model of Jesus to, to bring love into every situation, to not have fear knowing that you go ahead of us and that you've built these principles. And God, help us to routinely pray for those that are in authority over us, that they would pursue righteousness, that they would seek to restrain evil and not enable it so that we can have happiness and joy among our people. We pray that that would be the outcome this coming Tuesday and going forward. Lord, help us to devote ourselves to having that so we can know uh, peaceful and quiet lives that we live in all godliness. We know that's one of your commands. Help us to be diligent in making that one of the good ways that we overcome evil. I thank you for these good people. Bless them with, with health and safety, but mostly uh, with a knowledge of you and a devotion to you. Let their worship that started here today carry them through this week. We pray this all, all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.